0: That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
1: Welcome to the House of Pod, a show where we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine, we answer questions about your health, and we interview great guests. I'm Joe, and I'm not a doctor.
2: And I'm Lizzie.
3: And I'm Kaveh.
2: And we're two gastroenterologists.
3: What's a gastroenterologist?
2: You know, the doctors who work with your digestive system.
1: Say what? You know, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines. Where now?
2: Your butt, Joe. It's your butt.
1: Oh, On today's show, we have Dr. Stephen Barrett. He runs a website called quackwatch.org. It's dedicated towards dispelling all kinds of medical myths. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at The House of Pod. House of Pod. I'm Kaveh.
2: I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. We're happy to have Joe. I feel like I haven't seen you in so long. I'm so sad.
3: I know. How have been you s- been, buddy? Been good. Been
1: traveling the world. You, she- you kind of have, but listen, um, we got to talk about something. We're, this is sort we're of an intervention. Upset. We're very upset. And I feel like if we don't address it right off the bat, listeners will be able to detect our seething anger.
2: It's like resentment that builds over time and becomes anger. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. seething anger is actually very similar.
3: Is this related to my colonoscopy by chance?
1: Ding, ding, ding. <gasps>
2: How did you know, Joe? So, By well, the way, you, listeners, we've been prepping him for weeks <laughs> to talk about this colonoscopy, so he knew it was coming. Just that was a spoiler alert.
1: But what we had discussed, what Joe, what I thought we had made quite clear was that our plan was to record the whole process of your colonoscopy The prep, getting ready. I was going to do this whole expose, following you around with like a tape recorder to like get the whole process recorded. But you snuck off like a thief in the night to get your colonoscopy. Is that correct, Joe? Well,
2: well, what we really wanted to do was the Katie Couric thing, which by the way, there is such thing in GI literature and language as the Katie Couric effect. After she had her colonoscopy on live TV, unsedated, talking to her colonoscopist, there was a bump in the amount of people who went and got colonoscopies. It's a legitimate thing called the Katie Kirk effect. And that is what we wanted, the Joe Jafrida effect.
1: Uh, We could have had the Joe effect. We
2: we weren't sure that we were going to be able to film the colonoscopy. But we definitely wanted you to take some video footage of you drinking the prep so you could tell our listeners all about it. Joe, what do you have to say for yourself?
3: I am a jerk. I totally uh, promised to do that, and I didn't, but I'll tell you why uh
2: go on and it
3: has to do with the process the the day before the colonoscopy you can't eat anything. and so I was drinking Coke, Pepsi juices, water, and I was so darn hungry by like 2 pm
4: so darn.
0: Darn. darn language damn. sailor
3: no the truth is drinking that urine tasted tasting stuff was so bad that the prep. and and yeah the prep. And combined with the fact that I was starving, I was in such a bad mood, the last thing I wanted to do was videotape the damn thing. I wanted to get it over with and eat a hamburger right after, and that's all I was thinking about. in
2: a bad mood, I love to video myself and watch it later, and I send it to you guys all the time.
1: I I get it. I get it. By the way, we, we all know that the prep is the worst part of the whole procedure. It's drinking this <clears throat> nasty stuff. It does not taste good. And then you're pooping your brains out. That's the hardest yeah. part of the whole thing. Am I correct? Was yeah, I was peeing feeling? out
3: of my ass. So, crazy.
1: But, but then it was easy afterwards, right? After you did your prep, the actual procedure, the you was, probably the, don't remember anything about The procedure's
3: about it. great. Yeah, they put you out. And then after you're done, you went to Kirksberger with my dad. And it was wonderful. But, but the prep was hell.
1: Yeah. Hell. Yeah. First, first of all, Lizzie, what do you think about the fact that he was drinking like Pepsi and Coke before <laughs> the procedure? I was
2: going to make fun of him about that. But the rules are clear liquid diet the day before and we we encourage our patients to not drink anything red because you know we can i can usually tell the difference between red gatorade and blood they act very differently blood usually clots for example but um you can't be sure but it's clear liquids and for anyone who doesn't know coca-cola pepsi diet coke not a clear liquid can you see through it joe
3: you know what? Actually, uh, my instructions said I could drink Pepsi. It said I could drink oh. coffee. The only thing
1: they said was no blue or red. I think it was what it was, blue. and no food, that's except, except like for like the jello blue or something. I guess. So the that, that makes. I mean, the real. I mean, at the end of the day, am I going to like not do a colonoscopy <clears> on someone because they had a cup of coffee? No. I mean, no. It's fine. But typically, that's the traditional teaching is you want to be able to read your newspaper through it.
2: Right, and it's just something you can suction out. That's yeah. all we care about is suctioning out. You know, we have water spray to clean the colon suction to get out air and any liquid so if honestly you're just drinking soda even if we can't see through it we could just suction it out it's not a big deal
1: could be honest did you finish the whole prep fuck no
2: <laughs> wait double double honesty i did
1: honestly
3: at the most a half and wait. i was done i could not do anymore
2: wait second follow-up question did you tell your doctor or nurse who checked you in if you finished the whole prep they
3: didn't ask me really no, i just
2: surprising. was wondering if i can imagine joe would never lie wow. right in fact
3: i asked other people i don't know a single person who's drank a gallon of that shit i don't think you need to dude uh not yeah. one person i know
1: i have oh yeah god bless you i drank that stuff i'm not gonna make my patients do it without testing it yeah. first but listen it's awful I, I agree it's by it was so bad that it it's depressing. It's it 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 kind of makes you sad. That's what happened.
2: Wait, and then did you video yourself? <laughs> this
1: was before. <laughs> this is this can't. was an option.
3: Right. Why a gallon? That's totally overkill.
1: Well, I mean, here's the no. thing, man. I if you team. do it, if you do it right, you, you want to do it once and then not have to repeat it. You, I have to tell you, you're lucky in that they it went, it worked out okay. And sometimes it does. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes someone only drinks like half and it still works out okay. But a lot of times it doesn't. And you know what that means? That means that person again. went through sedation, the risks of sedation, the risks of the procedure, and then has to go home, drink some more of it, and then come back the next day and have the risks all over again. So if you do it, do it right and do it once.
2: Yeah. That is what we tell patients all the time. If you're going to do it, they always ask, do I have to do it all? And like people are trying to, you know, bargain with you. And I'll say, I really just want you to, it's for you. It's. Not, I don't yeah. want you to drink the whole thing. And it's very interesting how people will be given the same exact instructions, the same exact prep. And unless they're Joe, who are obviously deceitful, if they take (laughs) the whole thing that people have really different preps, you know, it just speaks to like the stuff we've talked about, gut microbiome and your diet and your quote unquote metabolism and all the stuff that moves things through your gut. Why are prep? Why is the colon look so different or the content in the colon after a prep? And it's. It's very interesting. And again, now I realize that all of our patients are liars.
3: <laughs> oh, for sure. You're <laughs> yeah. so nail on the head with yeah. that point. Every yeah. patient does it differently. Yeah. People eat. I mean, it's. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll tell you this. I, I always have suspected it because I have drank it myself yeah. and it's rough. It is really rough to do. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I've always I'm always like, boy. I'm pretty dedicated to this process and if I'm having a hard time finishing it yeah like I, I imagine a lot of our patients are not well so now it's done how do you feel you feel like well it was don't worth it? you it have a question for me well Whoa. yeah Joe Joe good question results uh, what do you got Whoa. buddy what's in there
2: you don't have to tell HIPAA you don't have to tell yeah, us yeah, the yeah. results
1: right.
3: no okay I, I had a clean mother effing colon
2: clean bill of health
1: clean nice. bill of
3: health felt good about it and My brother and sister got one too. My sister had some
1: polyps, so and she's thirty six. So, well, I'm glad you guys did it. Yeah, Yeah. that's good. Well, Joe, five years from now, we'll have better technology. We will live stream your colonoscopy. Right, fair enough. The
2: show will take off.
1: Hopefully, by then (laughs) we'll just be you'll do it'll be a Katie Couric thing. We can do like we'll have our National Syndicate show to do it on. Yeah. Sorry, listeners. Um, Okay, so sort of on the along the same lines of colonoscopy, I have a question for you, Lizzie.
2: Yes, Covey.
1: So you and I, in case, for some reason, if this is like the first episode you've ever listened to, this is probably really weird to you, but Lizzie and I are gastroenterologists um, and we do colonoscopies. So Lizzie, let me ask you a question. When you're doing colonoscopies sure. and you're having your procedure day and lots of patients coming in, you're just seeing one patient after another doing that. When you are introduced to a patient, which sometimes you're introduced to that patient for the first time, right there before the procedure. Right. You know what they've been doing. You know that they've been doing this prep that Joe just spoke about Mm -hmm. and they've been going to the bathroom a lot. Mm -hmm. They've been wiping their butts a lot Mm -hmm. and they probably just went before you're seeing them. Sure. Do you shake their hands? Mm
4: -hmm.
2: (laughs) That's adorable because I don't assume that people wipe their ass with their bare naked hands.
1: No, no, no. they have talked about their, is this. Is that the
2: presumption? No, no, no. Okay. I'm we've not talked saying about
1: they're, this. They're, I'm not saying they're just scooping it out yeah. with their hands, but yeah. they, are wa- they are wiping yeah, quite splatter. a bit. Yeah, they're splatter. So, they're splatter. Yeah, I mean, not everyone has the same level yeah. of hygiene. Like, yeah. you and I are probably pretty aggressive about our hand washing. And Joe, too, is kind of OCD, Covey too. Cove is yeah. really. No, I'm, like yeah, like I'm aggressive excessive. about it. yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think excessive. I think I'm just right kill for it. You would think that. Anyways... Do you do you shake hands willy-nilly or are you a little bit mm-hmm. less inclined to do so? What do you what do you do here? I have to
2: say and I don't mean to come off, you know, I really Dr. Renardish is in my mind like thinking of patients like all the time and in such a different way. It's it's wonderful, but uh I never like to shake hands with almost anyone. Like it's just not I don't actually have the OCD thing, but in the office I see patients all the time and I shake hands and I mean, people's hands are filthy. My hands are filthy. Touch your phone that dropped on the floor and this and that. You know, it's, if you think about it, I really, I do. If someone reaches their hand out to me, I, without a hesitation, shake it. But I'm very quick to use the alcohol wash or um, soap and water very quickly with bare hands. And I just walk, because, you know, it's very, a weird scenario. They're lying down in a stretcher. You're standing over them. Again, this weird dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll just say, Hi, how are you? I, I see you're here for a colonoscopy. Welcome, yeah. you know? And sometimes I'll ask how the prep was or whatever, but it, it's not really a great sort of um, workflow dynamic to shake the hand. So I can often get away without doing it. Mm-hmm. So, do you shake people's hands? You know,
1: I I never, if someone extends their hand, I'm not going to not shake it. I'm going to shake that. I'm going to shake that little fucker. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to shake that hand. You know, and then I'm going to go wash my hands really well afterwards. (laughs) But, which I always wonder if they find that offensive, but hopefully they realize I'm doing that between every patient, including them. So, hopefully they understand that it helps them too. But in the
2: office, don't you also? Well, that's
1: different. I mean, like, I, I, but just speaking to the colonoscopy part, I find now that there are ways for me to express uh, warmth towards a patient. My uh, that I'm like paying attention to them without shaking their hands. Now I, it's such a part of our daily routine to shake someone's hand when you first meet them that like I I bet it's off putting if you don't to some people at least. Maybe a lot of people like Joe don't even recognize it because the situation's so weird. Otherwise. But well,
2: maybe it's a manly things. There, definitely, there's a lot of I men who come in and that. they want to. Yeah.
1: Men, there's some men who come in they want to just get your hand and they want to shake it. Like, oh, I'm, I'm a man. And I'm American. I'm an American man, and you're an American man. We're gonna shake. The like respect American thing. Man. It's a respect it's thing, Yeah, it's very American. And and that's cool. So I'm never gonna not shake their hand. But I my my whole goal when they come in is to try and be comforting, right. give them a little confidence without shaking their hand. Like I look at myself a lot as a pilot. Like, my job is not to necessarily shake every passenger's hand, but to make them feel, like, calm and secure and confident in what's going to happen.
2: Do you use a prop? Like, because we always, for me, I have a consent and a clipboard, so I could hold that thing to avoid shaking hands. How do you avoid it? Like, if you're trying to discourage it, there are ways to discourage it.
1: So it, it kind of depends on the angle in which they, they come in, because usually they're wheeled in on a gurney, and I'm sort of by a computer charting or something like that. Um, my goal right then is to say hello and introduce them and be charming enough and, and uh, in, induce enough ease in them right away that I don't need to walk over to them, shake their hand. Like, I can say hello to them from across the room and I will place a hand on them, like on the shoulder or like, you know, on their, their leg if I'm on that side of them and I will try and sort of talk to them that way and, and introduce myself. And usually, if I don't extend my hand... Usually, they don't either. Anyways, probably have to cut a little bit of this. No. <laughs> I a got
0: a question we might cut. A, gotta
3: ask Liz, I got to ask Lizzie as a woman, heterosexual mm-hmm. woman, uh, totally not related. That's My cool. lady friend, I love her to death, Yen. Nicest girl I, I know. Well, we God go bless her. But Uh-oh. she had one complaint about me that uh, kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Mm. She actually had the audacity to suggest <laughs> that I get hair plugs. <laughs> <laughs> and to me, that is the lamest thing in the world from somebody from the bald community. I hate the, the hair plug people. I hate the toupee people. I have a lot of pride and confidence in myself yeah. of, of embracing being bald. And maybe, she's like pushing
2: hair plugs? Maybe what she wow. meant to say was, Joe, choose a side. Go all the way in one direction. Shave that all off. It's like think Brazilian. Or... Get hair plugs.
3: Hair plugs. Would you ever an, date a guy with hair plugs? Honestly,
2: I mean, I don't know. What wow. the she answer might to have. She doesn't even <laughs> know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they're really good, you wouldn't know. But you're in an in between phase. You say a ball guy. That's like good you're advice. Not quite. I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe that would be a kinder way of saying it, Joe. I, I love you. You're <laughs> wonderful. Can you please shave your whole head? Or get some hair plugs Because this in-between thing Isn't doing it for me
3: Yeah, I, I feel that That's that's reasonable But hair plugs I was like laughing yeah, I was no, like, I wow like, th- th- Those are the biggest losers I've ever You're seen
2: You're saying because they're obvious? Because they're, they're fake
3: see? Like what kind of person Would go through that much oh, stuff that We're like
1: lo- losing Our whole hair plug <laughs> audience No, like no, hair plugs no, Look ridiculous
3: guy. Every time I see it And you can spot them From a mile away They look ridiculous I'm like, what a you, loser You
1: just you don't like the fact That they're not confident In themselves Yeah, I it's, just, it's just
3: Just uh, just like what do you have some pride in no, yourself you're man little, you got a
1: little yeah. punk rock in you still and yeah. you're kind of like fucking i'm going yeah. bald this is how i want to do natural man is it that. a
2: confidence issue or because totally. you think it looks like shit because it, i think that there's probably just like everything you can pay a lot of money and make it look a little bit better i don't actually know i if someone yeah. has a great no, example are, of a great hair plug yeah. photo or a personal photo please send when us, you rub your
3: hand through it it feels like there's just sharp things all over. It's how do you disgusting. know? That? Do you I've know seen it. it? I've what seen if you it? rubbed your
1: hands through the I've man seen with them,
3: hair And I'm like, you are you gotta be just out of your mind to do that.
2: Maybe it was a it's woman what? with hair plugs. Well
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um here, I'm not the I mean, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> I don't even know if it is a question, but I hear you. I hear you. That's like if like a if I dated a girl and she was like, You gotta like wax your chest in like m- like my body, I'd be like, No, what are you crazy? Yeah, right. You, actually, <laughs>
2: This is like vagina shaming. This is male vagina shaming. Yeah, I was just thinking, point. where did I hear this before? It's Jennifer Gunter when a guy tells you how you should trim your bush or whatever. Right. Like, or you know, I was about to give another example of breast implants, but I knew both of you guys would be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Well,
1: you you hair stop plugs, talking about ha- hair breast plugs implants. Are
2: not okay, and <laughs> breast implants Wait. are God's gift to women and men. Yes, and I thought you were going to get good. mad at me. They so, look good. I'm just saying this is vagina shaming of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good point. Listen, I think you do hair plugs if that's what you want. If someone's out there and they want hair plugs because they'll make them feel better about themselves, God bless them. Do it. But if you don't need it and you clearly don't, I will personally spite you if you do hair plugs for someone else. Ooh. I will smote you. All right. I like that. I mean, it is.
2: Now you're on air. It is sort of that interesting thing where you tell your friends your innermost personal sort of desires and then you see them maybe change (laughs) for their significant other in a way like... I would never want blood diamonds. And then you get like this big diamond rock on your finger and you're like, but it's an engagement ring, you know, and it, you know he bought D- it. It was so much money. But you said you would never have blood diamonds, you yeah.
1: know. Yeah, that's right. Did, did she listen to the show? By the
3: way, she's gonna listen, so it's okay. Oh, to her boy. defense, this is a very minor thing. She's—it wasn't like she's threatening. It was just a yeah. funny um, thing I thought. Would by be the way, the yeah, I, I
1: like you. I've always uh, been on your side. I'm continuing to be on your side, even in this case. I'm just pretending to be on Joe's side right here. So, <laughs> oh, you want him to do the hair radio? Plugs? No, I just don't want her to be mad at me.
2: Oh, hair plugs, or we break up. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so uh, please stay tuned for our next guest. His name is Dr. Stephen Barrett. He runs multiple websites and they're all really good resources if you're a doctor or if you are not. They are based sort of in debase, in debunking, I'm sorry, medical fallacies, myths, and frauds. His most famous one is called quackwatch.org. Um, I will give a shout out to one of our uh, friends, our listener, one of our community, one of the House of Pod community members, who recommended um, this guest is Paul Thomas, the pound for pound best sound man, I think, in San Francisco clubs. If you're a traveling musician and you played in any club worth note here in San Francisco, he might have been your sound guy. Check out his business, A Sound Objective. That's my plug. If you're having a wedding or some sort of event and you need a great DJ and sound system, A Sound Objective. All right, anyone else have anything to plug? Stay tuned for Dr. Stephen Barrett. And here with us today, we have Dr. Stephen Barrett. He runs multiple websites dedicated to dispelling healthcare myths, fallacies, and exposing frauds. One of these sites is called quackwatch.org. I recommend you guys check it out. It's a great resource. Um, Thank you so much for coming, Dr. Barrett.
2: I'm
1: glad to be here.
2: Thank you. Um, Dr. Barrett, will you tell us how you define quackery?
4: If you try, basically, if you try to sell something, whether it's an idea or a product it's unproven and doesn't make sense, doesn't fit in with the rest of what we know, um, people should be suspicious.
2: And how do you how would you recommend our listeners or people on social media in the world? How do you recognize when it's something is pseudoscience or quackery? How, how do we let our listeners know what to look for?
4: Well, we have several articles on that with a total of about 60 different tips. Um, We refer to the voice of the quack. Um, There are certain kinds of language that should tip you off. There are also certain things that go along. The simplest one, has the broadest uh, application, would be if there's a website or a book or a doctor or any kind of practitioner that sells vitamins, minerals homeopathic remedies or herbs do not just leave Uh Um, do not use that person for information or help of any kind because it's impossible to sell or promote any one of these i'm sorry it's impossible to be a seller and tell the whole truth Uh it's never happened never will
2: So you're saying look out for the conflict of interests
4: in particular. It's not so much a conflict of interest. It's that you can't earn money if you tell the truth. If you, for example, um, want to sell vitamins honestly, and there are some uses for them, if you want to sell vitamins honestly, you have to say, who doesn't need them? (laughs) When's the last time they saw anybody who sold such products, telling you who shouldn't buy them.
1: Yeah, that's totally, that's totally right. Whenever you see one of these advertisements, it's always like everyone can benefit from this, particularly people with depression. Have you ever been tired or sleepy or stressed ever in your life? And everyone responds to those sort of things and everyone can check one of those boxes off. So they try and get the lowest common denominator that they possibly can.
4: And no one is going to say, I sell a product that very few people can need. Right. So if you want good information, you shouldn't search with a search engine. You you should go to um, some of the 500 or so sites that we recommend on, on uh, Quackwatch and our uh, recommended sites. And n- none of them are involved in the sale of any of these products, as far as I know. And they basically give information that's in tune with science.
2: So the sixty tips can be found on your website. The sixty tips of how to find, you know, um, spot um, someone who's trying to sell something we, that well, is not have, legitimate. We have
4: one article on how to. We have one article on how to spot a how to spot a quack. Another one on ploys that can fool you. Another one on um, more ploys that can fool you. Another one on. Uh, Signs of a Quacky Website. So those are the articles that tell you what to listen for.
3: Hey, Dr. Barrett, this is Joe. This is just amazing to hear this stuff. It's very scary as a patient or or as a consumer knowing that, you know, all these things can happen with um, no proof behind these products. How did you get into this field or when did you get into it? I know you were a psychiatrist before. What sort of triggered you to kind of dive in and, and play a proactive role? with this? Well,
4: many, many people wondered if I had some kind of a, an experience where I got hurt. I didn't. Um, I read some books about 50 years ago about, um, quackery in the 19th century and how the government eventually got to try to fight it. I read a book about chiropractors and I thought, gee, here's a whole system built around a false idea. And, um, Somebody ought to do something about it, and you know what I did? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I I just simply tucked it away. And, but when I uh, a few years later, um, I moved to uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania, and became acquainted with a dentist who was involved in trying to get the city fluoridated. And he ran into nasty stuff from one of the local uh, quacky publishers. And the two of us decided we'd start a discussion group. And we let word out amongst our network of friends and acquaintances. And a lot of people came. We, we met for five years on an every-other-week basis, um, and did investigations, issued press releases. And um, eventually, um, um, I got so interested that my interest kind of outstripped the rest, and I went off by myself and continued to investigate and got seriously into writing.
1: How do you feel things have changed? I'm assuming with the advent of the internet and everything that's going on online, it's only gotten worse.
4: Well, there's yes and no. There's more of everything. Uh, There's more information, more more misinformation, and more opportunity the kinds of messages that I tried to deliver were very relatively difficult to get into the mainstream media because most editors and publishers, um, don't want to get into certain kinds of controversies. They don't want to upset their readers. They don't want to make them feel foolish. And so it really wasn't that easy to get out the message of attacking misinformation. Um, the internet makes it easy to attack misinformation because we have to compete with you know, millions of other sites. But uh, I think we have a better voice now. In addition, um, there's a tremendous opportunity to do investigations. It used to take two, three months to investigate something. Sometimes I can do it in 20 minutes.
1: You, you know, the other thing you brought up that I really uh, found interesting was these false warriors for free choice, these false warriors for like freedom of speech. That's like a thing that I think is still very common right now.
4: Well, it is, uh, basically the freedom that the leaders want is the freedom to fool people, the freedom to sell their products, the freedom to sell their products illegally. Some of them, um, there are parents who genuinely are genuinely frightened. Right. But, um, the people who are at the core of the anti-vaccine, I think they're fundamentally dishonest. Um, the way to persuade people um, about fluoride, that fluoride is safe, you'll never guess what it is. What's you that? know what it is? No. no. What is it? You put it in the water. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you just put it in the water?
4: <laughs> you just put it in the water. Yeah, the way to deal with paranoia it's firm leadership. Right. What happens in communities where there's a big fuss about putting fluoride in the water? Once the fluoride's in the water, the fuss tends to go away. The other thing is that a lot of the fuss comes from out of town. Um, there are organized networks that, if you're considering fluoride for your city, you might get a thousand or two emails because there are about a thousand or two people. Involved in a network that's against it, and they're very active. Right. That's what they do. Right. Well, we so fa- the, the, the negative feeling is not likely to be anywhere near as high as it seems because the people who are against it may be politically active, and they've got it down to a, a science. It's very easy um, to send emails now. Right.
2: Well, we finally found the reason why it makes sense that a psychiatrist would be Involved in dispelling quackery because it is like very paranoid based and, you know, there's there's a lot of emotion in it. And I think vaccines and abortions are very they they just create a lot of tension because a lot of it is emotional arguments or religious arguments. And it's not fact based. And this is the whole point of what you're trying to do, right, is encourage people to use.
4: I really don't study how to persuade people. I just try to put the information out there in bulk and hope that it will have an effect. Well I know it has an effect because I hear from a lot of people.
2: Well that's I mean that goes to the next question we have is that there is so much false data out there. There's so much on social media. There's so much um again emotion driven quackery. So do you I mean do you get exhausted? Clearly you just said you felt um Invigorated, and you have a lot of positive feedback. But you know what does keep you going is—is is that it? Because it does sometimes seem overwhelming.
4: Um, I have negative feedback too. I get a lot of nasty stuff. Um, most of the time, it's a little more positive than
0: negative. But do I feel
4: overwhelmed? No, because—and um, I go back to what one of my friends uh, said: says, think about garbage. He says, you'll never solve the problem of garbage. You will have to keep putting it out. And what you hope is the trucks will keep taking it away. But you're not going to solve the problem of garbage. There will always be garbage. What you want to do is to prevent it from piling up too high. Same with me. Um, I don't expect to persuade everybody. What I hope to do is is somewhat shift the balance of power um, so that at least the people who want to live sensibly can figure out how to do it. And if some of the other people that are undecided come over to the sensible side, fine. My target audience is is, is not the people who disagree with me. It's the people who want to live in the real world.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you ever find, though, that people do tell you, um, you know, thank you for dispelling this this whatever fallacy that I believed in? Do you find that or do you find that?
4: Oh, oh absolutely. I hear from people like that um, several times a week. Yeah, no, I've, I've saved uh, um, consumers probably hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of dollars because of what the various things I've done to try to um, stop certain kinds of promotions and, and so on. So, well, no, there are a lot of people who who benefit. And I also reinforce and strengthen the the people who start out believing as I do and to make them less vulnerable to being to make people less vulnerable to being misled.
1: You know, that's and that's what's interesting is that what you do specifically, it's designed to keep people from making money off of other people and making money off of people who are believing in something sort of erroneous. Do you get a lot of uh, accusations that you're sort of like in the pocket of big pharma? I, I see this a lot when, when we're online and we're chatting with people and we're trying to dispel certain myths about medications that exist or vaccines again. It, it always seems that that's one of like a go-to argument. You must be sort of in the pocket of big pharma. And it always, it always surprises me because as a doctor, I feel like we have a lot... Of suspicion ourselves about drug companies. We're, we like are already very suspicious of drug companies, so it always surprises me when I hear so, that. But is that something that that you get in particular, given what you do?
4: Um, that's standard, and it's been the standard for a hundred years. That that um you you um if you fight my idea, I'll accuse you of being in the pocket of big something. So I'll accuse you of having an ulterior motive, and the funny thing is that. Anybody who actually pays attention to what I do will understand that I'm not a fan of drug companies. Um, I used to be more of a fan of drug companies 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. but uh, the marketplace has changed. And I'm not a fan of drug companies. Um, I'm involved in an organization that's working very hard to reduce drug prices. I think drug prices are outrageous. Yeah. And... I'm doing everything I possibly can to try to lower them. And anyone who thinks that a drug company would pay somebody like me is nuts.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. right. I can't believe a psychiatrist just said nuts. <laughs> That's crazy.
4: That's a late turn. Well, that, uh, you know, I say it, I say it humorously um, to think that uh, I detest the marketing practices of drug companies
2: yes no we totally understand and, and, and get you
4: i mean i take drugs I, I, <laughs> I take a number of i take yeah i take a number of expensive prescription drugs i buy them from canada <laughs> i save about i save thousands of dollars a year buying them from canadian pharmacies yeah no and, we... and that's another thing that i do
2: can we, can we ask, in, in all your years of combating quackery and dedicating a lot of your time and efforts to this, what do you think has been the most dangerous or deadly piece of misinformation? That is um, a question from Paul Thomas, who's one of your fans, who definitely steered us towards you and um, got, you, uh, got us excited to get you on our show. Yeah, well,
4: it may seem strange, but that's not a question that I particularly like to try to answer oh. because you have to decide what's meant by harm is something harmful if it hits the most number of people if it hits them economically and not physically
2: yeah um, and if
4: for example um if people waste their money on vitamins is that harmful well yes and the reason is they waste a lot of money and where does the money go One of the things, when you buy vitamins from um, Dr. Mercola, some of the money goes to support anti-vaccination organizations, anti-vaccine organization, and an anti-fluoride organization. So he gives a share of his rather large profits. He gives a lot of money to those groups. So when you buy a vitamin you don't need from Mercola, some of the money goes to, to fight public health. So that's danger. Um, In terms of physically dangerous, um, the things that are most dangerous are relatively uncommon. So I don't know how to measure that either.
2: I mean, there sounds like it's multifaceted. There's a health risk. There's a cost risk. There's probably a propaganda risk as well. You know, if you perpetuate bad ideas, that's toxic in of itself.
3: Uh, Dr. Barrett, uh, question for you. Um, Is there any sort of uh, hope or solution that you can specifically point out to to drive change so that companies are more honest or maybe more regulation? Or what do you think?
4: Yeah. Um, Well, remember, you can never get rid of garbage, all your garbage. But there are certain things that I think would, would help. I think when it comes to law enforcement, We really don't have a lot of protection. When it comes to law enforcement, uh, Congress should pass a law that enables the state attorneys general to go into federal court and enable them to have national jurisdiction so that if a state attorney general gets an injunction against somebody within the state, that injunction can be nationwide. That would multiply the force of the Federal Trade Commission by a factor of 100
3: Wow, that's, that's a good idea. idea. It,
4: it, would be a, it would be a huge uh, boost to protection. Um, another thing that would be useful, and um, I can't tell you how many, this, this is not, the the health-related aspects are not the biggest part, but there should be a law passed that people who do a lot of robocalling using spoof numbers, you know, where they fake a number, yeah. people who do a lot of robocalling uh, should be facing prison time if they get caught. Mm-hmm.
3: Totally right agree. Right now,
4: um, there's no easy mechanism to put them in jail. What happens is they have to give back some of their money. It takes a long time to catch them, and and um, there's no deterrent. I would like to see the court, the people who get caught for bad robocalling with spoofing, um, and and they're putting out billions of calls. Um, every year, maybe hundreds of billions, I don't know. But um, the average American is probably getting 20 calls a a week now. I mean, it's just, I don't think there's anything in our society where a tiny number of people has been allowed to run wild and pester uh, 99% of the population.
1: Well, Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for your time uh, again for anyone that has any interest in this field, both if you're a medical professional or not, check out his website quackwatch.org. It's a wonderful resource. It is pretty extensive as well, and it, you have you have other websites from there. I'm assuming you can probably link out to right that cover things from autism, um, dentistry, multi level marketing, etc.
4: Yes, I'd like to have long, browsable access, So we separated. The information so you can look at, at indexes. And by the way, I also have a free weekly newsletter that takes about two minutes to read. Just go to the top of quackwatch.org and it'll tell you how to sign up.
1: Well, great. Hey, thank you so much, Dr. Barrett. We appreciate it. Thank you. Want me to do it again? I'll do it again. No. On today's show, we have Dr. Stephen Barrett. He's a. What's
3: wrong with me? It's okay. It's hot. Just <clears throat> so don't be nervous.
2: No. Just fucking
1: do it. Okay. On today's show, we have Dr. Stephen Barrett. He runs a website called Quackwatch.org. Please follow up. That
4: heart. was perfect. That was there perfect. Was you interrupted him.
1: Quack. <laughs> Quack.
3: The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. All antidotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex and certain details so that patient identification is not possible.